The world of dog sports has lots of options to keep your dog's four paws busy. Let's dive deeper in four paws sports. And welcome back to another episode of Four Paws Sports Podcast here. My name is Jeff. I'm joined here tonight with Mary Drexler. Mary, how's it going? It's going great, Jeff. How are you today? Doing pretty good. I'm hanging up here in uh, Minnesota uh wrapping up day two of judging another akc trial here it was uh rather cold this weekend so far it was uh not as bad as chicago a few weeks ago but it was uh it was like about eight degrees uh starting out yesterday but today has warmed up significantly starting at a whopping 12 degrees and we i think we went up to 29 degrees for today so plenty of ice and snow up here um i'd be glad to get home and get away from it though Oh, hey, you should have been in Iowa today because it warmed up and the snow started melting and it was like 45 degrees or something exciting there today. Yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be really muddy here soon for you guys then. It makes me happy. I have white dogs in situations like that. <laughs> I, I think I hear sarcasm. I don't know. <laughs> Just a touch, maybe a little bit. <laughs> hey, you should get one of those black tri dogs. I hear they work out really well for you. Well, yeah, then they just don't know that they have mud on them because everything is just like, oh, that's the brown, right? <laughs> or better yet, get yourself a papillon, a little white, little black tri-papillon oh, where yeah. you lose it in the mud and then you have to clean all of the mud off. That's just the feet. Exactly. Because then it's basically like you have a little mop on a leash, really. Yeah, that's pretty much. Or, or, you know, you do have that little white border collie that's a lot more white than black so you have your yeah, experience yeah. there so, yeah we have that going on too but you know we, yeah. that's all right that's why i have a dog tub and a dryer and towels and and a carpet shampooer so it's all good right. living your life one day at a time cleaning all the dogs at once exactly it's great fun uh well i think tonight's gonna be a pretty cool episode um tonight we have with us, uh, Mary's daughter, uh, Natalie Spinsby, and we have Dinah Woodman here with us. Uh, both uh, both ladies, I won't call you girls because you guys have uh, hit the adulthood now, so I have both ladies tonight with us who have uh, been on the uh, EO team, uh, the EOJ team, which was the European Open Junior, Ten Open Junior team, but is now called the World of Jun World Agility Junior Open Team. Um, if you girl, if you ladies want to correct me on that, um, I'm not familiar with the name when they changed the, it there. The technical acronym is Junior Open World Agility Championship or Ju Junior Open Agility World Championship. I honestly, I still call it EOJ <laughs> because the J O A W C or whatever is just too many letters. Thank you. I was going to say, when they changed it, I was always going, wait, what am I supposed to call it now? But anyway, so tonight we are uh, we have both uh, Dinah and Natalie tonight. So uh, Natalie, if you want to go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to everybody. Yeah, um, I'm Natalie Spinsby, and I have been training dogs for almost 17 years, uh, which is a little weird to say. <laughs> um, I started with a Samoyed that I did AKC with, and then I got into international agility with my now almost 10 year old Sheltie Fire and have continued to run internationally on both the European Open Junior team and the 
uh, European Open team with uh, Fire, my older Sheltie, and my Border Collie Vengeance. And I now have a young up-and-coming Sheltie that I'm hoping will be able to make the adult teams now that I have aged out. Well, sounds like you got your hands full there. Um, how long have you been doing agility? Um, well, I started training agility uh, when I was three, so almost 17 years ago. And then I started showing... I was five, um, so that was almost 15 years ago, so yeah. Wow, five years, that's, uh, that's quite, quite young getting started there, especially with uh, big old Samoya there, because way back in that day, I was uh, photographing, and I remember when you were uh, very small and a lot younger when I was photographing you back in those days. Oh, yeah, when my dog weighed um, more than I did and was almost <laughs> as tall as me. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you're, what, a buck ten, maybe soaking wet to begin with? <laughs> <laughs> but I weigh more than all of my dogs now. <laughs> okay, that's true. That is true. You have a little bit more of an up. At least when vengeance hits you, he won't knock you over necessarily. Well, well, <laughs> maybe not. I would <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, and you can tell. Natalie, you and I have known each other for quite a long time because you were actually there when Nitro actually made his novice debut. Actually, back uh, yes. up in Iowa. Actually, all those all those years ago, the eight years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long. Well, I played with Nitro when he was a puppy. Yes, so yes, I you knew did. Him well, I mean, third so novice. Well, so did everybody else. Like I took that dog with me everywhere, and everybody stole him from my uh, from my ex pin whenever he was with me. So I'm like, well, somebody's <laughs> got him. They'll bring him back, maybe. Yeah, this is very true. You basically didn't have a puppy because he was always just getting handed around. Hey, you know what? Well, Best socialization Jack? ever. So, I mean, that worked for me. It was easy. I didn't have to do all the work for socialization. Well, and he well, still Jack, is one of the sweetest the dogs. You have the best picture of Natalie and Peach when they were first trialing because Peach used to give <laughs> Natalie a kiss on the table when we were in class. And we kept saying, you can't let her do that in the ring because <laughs> they'll get the judge will have to excuse you. And so there is a picture somewhere that you had that you took where Peach is leaning forward and her tongue is sticking all the way out and Natalie is leaning <laughs> and there's about a half an inch of space between the tip of Peach's tongue and Natalie's chin. <laughs> she actually did not lick Natalie on the table. <laughs> the best part is, is that you can also see Rhonda Crane in the background, who was our judge at the time before she became a rep, and she is not looking. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just we won't let AKC know about that. She wasn't watching that part. It's okay. What are they going to do about it now? That was how many years ago? She's dead. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they can't oh. revoke her novice title now. Uh, right. <laughs> Oh, the good old days. Uh, well, and also tonight with us, we have Dinah Woodman with us. Say hi, Dinah. Hi. <laughs> uh, talk to us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, get your started, first breeds, all that good stuff. How long have you been doing agility? Um, I've been doing agility about the same time as Nat, about 17 years. I also started when I was around five years old. I started with a, a corgi. My mom bred Pembroke Welsh Corgi, so that's what I ran. Then I decided I wanted a big dog, and so we went and got an Aussie from Rescue. She ended up having some, some health issues, and um, we had lost our Malinois, so we decided to get the Dutchie, which Jeff lived with for a while. And once I got 
the the duchy i really started to to get my my agility goals in line and i did two european open junior teams with her um and then i i aged out and got my first border collie and now i'm on to my second border collie and um a norwegian lunda hunt well, it sounds like you've uh, made quite a few changes there, starting with the the smalls and moving to the bigs, and now kind of going back to the smalls. I think I don't know how big yeah. your newest dog's supposed to get. Not very big. He should be a twelve or a sixteen. Nice, nice. And uh, just because I'm going to brag, where'd that border collie come from? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The road. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was an interesting, uh, was not expected to happen, but uh, I think, Dinah, you conned Mary into uh, taking you to go see uh, the few puppies that I had over at uh, Lori's seminar that uh, that one that one fateful weekend. Uh-huh, uh-huh, I did. <laughs> and I kept saying, oh, you shouldn't get a dog, this is bad timing, and you can see how well that <laughs> But, oh come on, Mary! There is no such thing as bad timing to get a puppy necessarily. <laughs> yeah, I really have to talk since I just brought home a puppy a couple weeks ago. <laughs> right. Do what we say, just don't do what we do. Uh-huh. We have advice that we just don't follow, so you know. <laughs> oh yes, definitely, indeed. So. Uh, Ladies, um, so what, uh, I think you covered this, but what breed did you guys compete with in Europe? Because Natalie, you went a couple times with a couple different dogs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been, um, I've gone to Europe with two different dogs. And so I started with my Sheltie, who ran in Europe three times. She ran on the 2016, 2017, and 2018 European Open Junior teams. And then I've competed with my Border Collie overseas twice both in 2019 he was on the uh, european open junior team in 2019 as well as the european open team and then this year we'll be going back overseas to compete in denmark on the european open team very nice very nice and that's the adult team correct right very good and uh dinah you uh you went with uh which dog did you go with uh, uh eoj i went with my dutch shepherd oc 2017 and 2018. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Those are the good years. Good years. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, what? So when I was competing uh, back uh, way back in the day when I was still like early teens and just getting started, I don't even know if EOJ was even a thing back then because it seemed like it was relatively new. Um, so I never really had that aspiration. But what made you guys decide that that was what you guys wanted. What what made you guys say make that your goal? I mean, running running a little corgi to begin with. Um, they are a a docked breed, um, so I never really had overseas goals just because of all the anti cropping and docking things over there. Docked breeds aren't always allowed to run, so I never really had any big goals with them. But then I got I got the Dutchy and things kind of looked up and I got interested in potentially running international. And so I tried out for the EOJ team and I mean, it was a wonderful experience. It kind of fueled all the fire, so to speak. What about you, Nelly? Um, yeah, I honestly, so I was like 13 when I decided that I wanted to make world teams. So I can't exactly say what made me go Ah, I really want to go compete overseas but I remember I was like I want to 
be on the world team. So I decided that I was going to figure out how to do that. And Anne Brow was teaching a seminar um, up in the old canine sports zone. And I went there for like the small dog handling, I think it was. It was, the, it was an international style camp. Uh, Terry Herman, who I owe basically all of my international success to, was like, you should look at EOJ because the year before, it was either 2015 or 2014, I think, that they first sent a team over from the US. And it was like a few parents that had found out about it that had sent their kids over. So the U.S. hadn't been doing it very long, but Terry was like, you should check it out. And Mm -hmm. from there, I was like, oh, yeah, like that really just like lit a fire under me. And I was like, I'm going to do everything that I can. And then I competed and it was such a rush over there that I was I was hooked. Well, that's awesome. I mean, Natalie, how did that first run over there go? Like, as a proud mom, I'm going to interject as a proud mom moment because so how did your first, how, what were your results your first year over there in Slovakia? Like, how did go? <laughs> um, I think it was my second run was our individual jumping run. And uh, I was earlier in the running order. We ran, we were clean. I was super excited. Long story short, uh, my teammate who is now one of my favorite agility people ever, uh, his name is Kai ran up to me and told me that I had won the gold medal, which was the U.S.'s second medal at, at all at this competition and the first gold medal. So that was, that that definitely helped. <laughs> That's a little small highlight there of your of your first trip over. Just a small highlight. Yeah, just, just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit there. Oh, <laughs> uh, so... I mean, not many people get to go over there, obviously, from the United States. You know, there's, what, what's to say, rounded up, and to say, maybe 40 competitors between the adult uh, AKC world team and the uh, European Open team. And then adding on to that, the, uh, the EOJ team, there's probably, what, about 40 kids or 40 total, maybe 50 total people going over there. So the percentage of people going is actually quite small. And so not many people get to experience or understand what it's like to compete over there. So at least maybe my next question is to what's really the most exciting thing about competing over in Europe? I think my, I mean, the most exciting thing is I think the energy. It, It has such an electric feeling to it without feeling like there's a lot of pressure. I feel like here in the U S um, trials are very nerve-wracking um in the sense that like there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of like oh um there's a lot of talk about doing well and a lot of it is focused on um the qualifying score and I feel like that changes the energy um whereas in Europe it's a little bit more relaxed but almost more intense so you have this electricity without like making it feel overwhelming and I absolutely love that feeling and I think no matter how I do in the ring, that's always the feeling that I'm chasing when I'm running. What about you, Dinah? Uh, what did you think for your first couple of times going over there? What's uh, what's exciting for you over there? I definitely have to agree with, with Natalie. It's, a, it's more laid back, but still high stakes. It's more of like a, you just have to go, Go out there and lay it all down. Do the best you can. Otherwise, it's not gonna, not gonna mean much at the end of the day. And I just, I don't feel like you get that here at our trials. You don't get to 
to go out there and just push with everything you have. Right. I think the I think the closest thing, and I think you uh, ladies will might agree with this, but running UKI agility, I think, is probably the closest thing that we get from the same feeling as far as the electricity of the runs go without that pressure of queuing. Absolutely. The U.S. Open to me, which is um, the like nationals for UKI as well as their own world team tryout is the closest thing in the US that I feel we have to European agility in the atmosphere and frankly in the course design too um where it's bigger it's um it tends to flow better for the dogs and I I definitely think that energy wise that is comparable it, it is more comparable to anything we have outside like nationals doesn't compare invitational doesn't compare it's a completely different energy that you get going overseas and I, yeah like I would agree the U.S. Open is the closest you get and even then it's like a tenth of what you get overseas. Right, right, absolutely. No, because um, I've had the uh, the pleasure of making finals with Nitro at AKC Nationals one year. This year, well, this past year, I made finals with him for biathlon at the U.S. Open. And comparatively, we had been to the National Agility Championship about a couple, two, three times at this point. And the, the difference between doing the National Agility Championship versus the U.S. Open, was I still kind of nervous I don't know if I was nervous at the open. I was more excited, but at the NAC, I would say I was more nervous because there's just so much pressure to be perfect there. And I feel like I hold back and I feel like, you know, an old 1998 windows computer where I just kind of blue screen at times. Cause my one run, I completely blue screen at finals and not that we would have won, but it would have definitely not caused me that error. But at the open, it was so much more relaxing and fun and just, go all in on it and i mean both nitro and kyber they both competed you know on the same course that same night and definitely a big difference in the feeling between those two venues absolutely like i remember um because i like similar to you jeff i've run in um i've run in a few finals at the u.s open i've run at the invitational and i've run at nationals and it's it's a completely different I feel like at um, like the Invitational and Nationals, there's this, yeah, there's this pressure to be perfect. And so there's always, oh, I have to play it safe. And I also feel that part of it, at least for me, is like when I'm running in those venues, I'm thinking about, oh, well, this is a little tight. I'm worried about my dog hitting this, or I'm worried about my dog not seeing this, or I don't think I can do this blind here, blind here the way this is situated. And I feel like at the US Open and over in Europe, I'm not as critical about that because I don't have those same same worries due to the difference in the venues and so I can relax and run my dog the way I want to run my dog and then enjoy the electricity of the event without that pressure to be perfect well I mean that really kind of answers the next question what's the difference between our European agility and the U.S. agility there Um, anything else I mean specifically because like I said I've never been there and you know such a small percentage goes there is there any other big differences from us to the European version of agility the biggest difference to me um, is that Europeans have a huge 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 focus on dog safety I feel like the U.S. is getting there, but we are not quite to the level where Europeans are basically at the point where they'll sacrifice just about anything to make sure the dogs are safe. 
And I feel like we're still in a transition period of trying to get that level of dog safety while also making the competitors that we have here in the U.S. feel comfortable with what necessarily that means and changes to the rules and things like that. Well, so when you say dog safety, what are, what are you talking about? Are we talking equipment? Are we talking course design? What, what are we referring to? Uh, specifically, um, course design, spacing between obstacles, contact approaches and exits, and also equipment. Um, in Europe, they've implemented something called a saloon door tire that is also basically frameless, um, which is basically a foam tire that opens both top and bottom if a dog hits it and does not have the big frame that goes over top and is much more like a stanchion with a tire in between. Um, that's a lot safer. They've moved towards foam broad jumps, which I realize we don't see as much in the U.S. anymore, but they're a lot um, softer. They're, they've got foam wall jumps, which while we don't see in AKC, we still see in UKI agility and not every place in the U.S. has those, whereas that's become a much bigger trend over there. And they're, they're constantly, without, from what I understand, really having to change many rules, changing the ideas of course design, um, working on making lines flow better for the dogs and working on how to challenge, how to create challenges that don't require as much torque on a dog's body, um, especially by allowing them space to land, by allowing them to really extend their bodies, which I don't, see, I don't think we see as much in the US with allowing dogs to have the spacing that they need to be in full extension on lines that should allow them to be in extension. Right. Um, so actually the kind of the interesting part you bring about the equipment is that um, just recently, and I want to say this is probably within the last two months, um, AKC did just say that the foam wall jump and the foam uh, broad jump are now actually approved by AKC for uses because there is no actual um, equipment standards as far as material standards go for that. And so as long as they're set for the same length or width, it's okay to use now. Now, of course, now that comes down to clubs having to buy that equipment. So while it's approved, it may be a while before we start seeing that as mainstream. Absolutely. So Dinah, uh, what about you, Dinah? Anything big differences since you've been to Europe twice and competed over there? What do you see as something that is a uh, difference between us and European? Honestly, um, Pretty much the training itself, I mean, the, the Europeans are always training for, you know, the best. And, you know, they, they set their standard there. Even if they're not looking to do world-level events, they're still aiming high. And um, it creates kind of a, a spark and a, you know, train-how-you-play kind of vibe. Yeah, I, I hopefully one day I can get there with Kyber or even the little, uh, the little rat, uh, little rat picks I've got there. So maybe one day he'll get to, he'll get to go over there. Um, one of the big things, uh, what about traveling? Uh, that's, that's definitely a big thing for uh, going over to Europe. How, how did you guys manage to, you know, go over there? How'd your dogs handle going in cargo? I mean, that's, that's pretty, it's a lot of stress on dogs. Not well. I, um, the first time I see flew in cargo, um, she she did have an accident in her crate, which she, I mean, has virtually never done, except for, I'm sure, when she was a puppy. Um, but I could definitely tell she was very stressed out by that. I wish that I had not 
had to 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 fly her in in that manner but um it was what it was and um now airlines are even cracking down on what dogs can fly in cargo and things like that so I foresee in the future we'll see a little bit of trouble having especially our large dogs uh fly overseas yeah I I actually had a very different experience with Vengeance. Uh, he's the only dog I've had to fly cargo. He actually handled it really well. I I don't I don't think he ever had an accident. Um, and he, I could tell he was like he wanted to get out, but basically we got him. We took him outside. He peed. He came back, and he was totally fine. Which thank goodness because that first trip he we ended up sitting in the Zurich airport for t- like twelve hours. Um, so thankfully oh, he was remarkably calm, um, especially once he got back to me. Cause we always joke that, um, vengeance is my, uh, not officially emotional support dog and I'm his emotional support <laughs> human. Uh, so we support each other. So I was, I was thankful about that, but, uh, in agreement with Dinah, I really wish that we didn't have to fly our dog's cargo. I think it might've been more stressful on me than it was on Venge. Um, and it's just, it's, it's almost a little frustrating that, you know, you put all this time into training your dog and your dog goes everywhere and, you know, you're on this U S team, you've, you know, you've earned your spot on this team. And I wish that there was a way that we could get airlines to approve of things like that. So our dogs could get better accommodations. Uh, these dogs that are used to traveling are used to being well-behaved um and are representing the u.s in another country so if they can't handle that you know then that's something for evaluation by the team anyway and i i really wish that we didn't have to fly our bigger dogs under planes when you see things you know it it feels like all the time about dogs getting misplaced getting lost getting killed because there was a miscommunication Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, just curious, did you use anything specific like a kind of a GPS tracker or collar with them? Because, I mean, that's my one fear is if I would ever make that team. I mean, I would, I would never forgive myself if something happened to my dog in that traveling aspect there. So, I mean, did you use anything else to kind of help you comfort yourself for the travel? I we did not. I we did, however, have a, a very very nice. Um, and and pilot on the plane um when we flew over there the pilot came back and assured me that my dog was under the plane in the cargo and that when we arrived she would be she would be right there with us so I was very thankful that um that they were so kind and accommodating because obviously I was a mess and nerve-wracked because of all the horror stories that are out there about about airlines but um yeah yeah, we didn't have um, we didn't have any GPS trackers. Although this year I do have one that I am going to use. Um, and it, like Dinah said, we were really lucky to get also a good flight crew that was um, very understanding of our nerves. Um, but the other thing that we did is we had um, taped on the front. Um, and the top of his crate uh, was like a little info slip that was like, hey, this is a dog. This is his name. This is where he lives. We're on this flight where like it had all this information. So that way, if something happened, we were hoping that somebody would look at the crate 
and see all of this information with a little intro like, hey, we're going overseas to represent the USA and all this. Here's our flight. So please find us like it. And that definitely helped me feel a little bit better, at least, that there was something marking my dog that he was with us and where he was supposed to be. So even if something did happen, hopefully someone would notice. And like we didn't even when your dog is not in cargo, it can be very stressful. So fire is just barely small enough to go as carry on. And so we flew to Slovakia. Actually, we flew into Austria and then drove to Slovakia in 2016. Went went from Chicago to Austria. Went all went well. Went to go back on the plane to come home, feeling all cool with our gold medal and everything and doo doo. And we got to the check-in, and he had me put her on the scale, and I didn't think anything of it. And he looked at me and he said, "She's too heavy. She can't fly in cabin." And <laughs> I am sure I made the world's saddest face. In it's true. We, well, we both looked at him in panic, like what? Because this was not, it wasn't like we had booked through different airlines. Like this was right. a round trip ticket with the same yeah. airline. So <laughs> we and were I both like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I must have been pathetic enough that I made the German man feel bad for me because <laughs> then he gets on the phone to his supervisor. And of course, when people are talking German, they sound angry. <laughs> all the time so he's you know and he's talking and i am just i mean it's probably a good thing nobody took my blood pressure because i probably would have been hospitalized well we're both and, flipping out because we've yeah. heard stories of people being like oh yeah you know your dog's too big and then you have to rebook the flight you have to get an airline approved carrier in a foreign country that you don't know where anything is you've already returned mm -hmm. the rental car mm -hmm. like it's a whole thing and we're just like oh my god we just want to go home and so and then he got up the phone and he kind of grinned and he's like it's okay and i probably aged 20 years and we went home and then that explains the gray hairs i saw last time i saw you <laughs> well at least now i know if they're looking if they're looking for a u.s ambassador to germany at least i know i can send mary to it and then she can just uh she can work her way into getting some favors if she looks yeah, sad clearly. enough somebody will take pity <laughs> <laughs> panic <laughs> and you know then they feel yeah for me. the best part about um, that experience though was that that was 2016 so it was my first trip over and she like we never had a problem she flew over yeah. in cabin every time she flew over to overseas three times and we never had another problem like it was just that but one like, time where we're yeah. like please and i didn't think they ever weighed her again like nope we did didn't. check i mean i would say we did talk to the travel agents and make sure that she fits like this is how much she weighs make sure she but we never had a problem again mm -mm. that's crazy because i had a very similar experience the second time i went over uh to europe to go grab another papillon who was related to pigs for somebody who didn't have a passport and obviously i got over the uh, over to serbia just fine but when i came back uh to get onto the uh first uh leg of the trip they were like they're looking at, looking at her in the backpack she goes oh that that backpack's gonna be too big and i'm like I literally flew your same airline like three months ago with the same backpack with a Papillon that was bigger than this one. And now you're telling me it's too big. I'm like, I panicked because one, I didn't even have a rental car. The person who dropped me off the airport, she's already long gone. I'm going, 
Um, well, this is going to be really interesting because uh, my flight leaves in an hour, and then I have a 14-hour layover in Turkey to wait till I can get back to Chicago. I'm like, well, this is going to make my trip really long. But you know, like you, they <laughs> I guess they felt bad enough for the the poor little American over there. Goes, please just let me go home. <laughs> Exactly. It is the perk exactly. to Europe is that they're like, oh, it's okay, stupid American. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like, it's gosh. funny going out over places in Europe because they're just like, oh, honey. <laughs> like, you can yeah. just see the, oh, honey. <laughs> oh, bless your heart. <laughs> so, Mary, um, I'm assuming that Natalie didn't pay for uh, pay for all this up front here. Um, uh, walk me through it cost-wise. What, what did you guys spend going over there? Because not a lot of people actually know like the cost breakdown what it actually costs to go over because this is not funded by akc this is all self-funded with some fundraising but this is definitely mostly paid for in out of pocket well you basically want to plan on about five thousand dollars a person um and granted the last time we did this was in 2019 so my guess is everything price of everything has gone up in some ways the adult team is a lot less stressful and and cheaper because you don't need to rent a car um there's a team bus which is really nice and for a parent like me who is perpetually panicking that i'm going to screw something up and my my kid is not going to make it to where she's supposed to be the team bus like the lowered stress of only being responsible from getting to the airport to the airport hotel and then i just got to get to the bus on time like i can't tell you how much better that made me feel because my two my two nightmares of going overseas or that our paperwork isn't going to be right and that we're not going to find the competition when we go with the adult team and there's a team bus then i only have one of those nightmares running through my head instead of both of them (laughs) but yeah it is expensive and it's you know because you have your flight and you have your hotel and you have your rental car and of course you need to eat and it's just it's it's a lot um but and flying dogs is expensive like it's not yes. just getting the people over it's the dogs too and that costs more than you, you wish it would <laughs> yeah and then and then you also and thankfully like i will say for the junior team like one awesome addition as far as fundraising goes debbie dubai has become has been an assistant coach on the team now for a team manager i guess not coach for a few years now and she is an excellent fundraiser and she has been, she's really good at getting out there and helping raise funds for the team. But it's, I mean, it's just a lot. Like, and when you think about it, the team has grown so much because I think there's about 20 something kids on the team now versus, I, about I mean, to hit capacity. Like, because it used to be when I first started trying out for the team, there, like, there wasn't, there was no worry about like number of kids you could have on the team because we just didn't have that many kids trying out. And now we've gotten to the point where this team is, I mean, almost the size of the adult team, which is phenomenal. Yeah. And you'll have alternates and everything. And so, yeah. And so when the, and Debbie does a lot to help raise money for the juniors, but of course you spread that out over 25 kids or whatever it is that gets diluted. Yeah. And it, so it is, that is something, um, makes it harder to go over there so we do i mean we did fundraisers we we sold t-shirts like some of the kids will make toys and sell them um we'll do like we've done fun matches you know they have raffles um people have just straight up donated i mean and people are awesome and one thing i will say is they're in the agility community 
people have been really supportive and I know especially these kids like you know Natalie has had a bunch of little aunties watching her at dog shows since she was five years old and and I'm sure Dinah probably has the same thing and it's like so these people see her and they kind of feel like they're part of her family and are in a way and they all want to help and we've been very fortunate that people have been very generous and it's made it possible for her to be able to go overseas. No, that's certainly nice. That is one thing about the U.S. I will say is that the agility community does truly support their juniors as much as possible. Yes. I mean, it's really people are with funds and then just being really engaged. I mean, they're they're watching, they're wanting to know the live stream. I mean, not only over in Europe, but even when that like when Natalie's at tryouts, when she's at EO tryouts, I have people blowing up my phone. When is Natalie running? When is she in the order where you have the link for the live stream, you know? It's really and cool like, to see that people are so engaged still. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I get questions great. all the time. Um, or not questions, but they'll be like, oh, we saw how great you did at tryouts. Um, you know, congratulations or wherever you went. And it's just like, it's really humbling to have all these people that I, I mean, I've had in my life for ages, but I'm doing the a type of agility that they don't want to do. And they're still like super invested and they already know what my results are without, you know, I can, (laughs) I can go to my first trial since June, the weekend after tryouts and everyone there is all is already congratulating me like, oh my God, we saw you on the live stream. Your runs were so great. And it's just like, it's, it's really sweet. Um, And it, I mean, it is, they're, they're just a second family and there's nothing like it. When Natalie was young like her father's family is not they're not dog people you know they were kind of thrust into this by marriage whether they wanted to be or not (laughs) they had come to watch natalie at a trial i don't know i think i was working and she was and they're like well where's natalie and they were all worried because i didn't know immediately where she was and i said oh don't worry i said she is never safer than she is at a dog show because there are a hundred people here who would absolutely rip anyone apart that tried to take this child like she has never (laughs) been safer in her life My joke is always that this the second I bring a guy to a dog show, he's going to be lucky to make it out there alive because it's like meeting the grandparents times a thousand. Yep. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, you know, speaking of cost, um, the interesting part because uh, going since the uh, the 2023 team this year, they're going to United Kingdom. They did put out actually no, a video. They're going as next far year. As... Oh, they're next. 24. Oh, next year, 2024. Oh, this year is Denmark. Oh. Oh, okay. Because yeah, I was looking on their site. I guess that's oh, okay. Interesting. Huh. Anyway, I'm wrong. That's yeah, surprising. There. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> never been wrong in my life except when I talk to you guys. The, the junior team one. might be this year. I. It might be the junior team that's going this year, though. Yeah, you it's the, right yeah, yeah. The junior team is the one that's going to, um, in July. But they put out a um, they put out a little like uh, frequent asked questions video for traveling and all the facts and whatnot. And they did list actually the cost, the estimated cost of. Twelve to fifteen thousand dollars, I think, is what I saw it listed, and that was, you know, just getting over there. That's not counting, you know, traveling on cars and through the tunnels and whatnot. I mean, it was a pretty, uh, uh, pretty intense per- um, way of getting over there. So I was, I was very shocked. I'm like, oh, and that's very intimidating to have to go through all the paperwork. I mean, just trying to get the paperwork for the UK because they have so many special rules over there. It's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely intimidating. Mm-hmm. I that was honestly my concern when I found out that the junior t- that the junior competition was happening in the UK is I'm like this is going to really hurt our junior team that has been 
growing so much in the last few years. I mean, when, when I started in 2016, it was like 12 of us, I think. And some of those kids were running multiple dogs and now it's grown. I mean, it's over twice the size that it was. And I'm, I'm genuinely worried because that's a lot of times the parents' biggest concern about their kids uh, being on the team is the cost of getting over there. And I think that this is going to hurt not only kids in the U.S., but kids from around um, all of the countries that are invited of just getting over there. Because even in Europe, that's a much bigger cost to go to the U.K. than it is to go anywhere else in the EU. Um, and I think it's I think it's going to hurt their numbers. So as much as, you know, it's nice that the U.K. is is hosting and I think that they're going to put on a wonderful competition I think it's a it's a tough decision to make when you have these kids that you're trying to foster this passion in and it's like well we'd love to send you but we can't afford to do it and I think it's going to hurt the numbers or at least hurt the kids that could have gone and maybe it would have been their first year or maybe it's their last year and they can't go because it's too expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. And parents, uh, just for reference, I mean, I mean, we all we all know that playing golf and football and hockey and stuff like that, that gets expensive. But that's a one time purchase. Maybe a couple of times you have to do for bigger size equipment. But I mean, this is this is definitely a bigger investment. And, you know, the parents that do it, I mean, it's it's great that we see that they really believe in their kids that can do this stuff because it takes a big commitment and a pretty large pocketbook, too. To do it, Julie, not just in the U.S., but internationally, because uh, the U.S., I mean, it's a pretty expensive uh, thing to do for the United States here because runs are not cheap because not every club offers, you know, junior discounts, which is mostly 50 percent off, which is great. But that's just very few clubs that truly do that. And I wish more clubs would offer a junior discount to get more kids into the sport. Absolutely. And you don't get like school support, you know, because you think a lot of kids, how do they get into sports? They play them in school. So the school is taking, you know, the school is taking some of those bills of, you know, equipment. If you want to play basketball, you don't have to buy a basketball hoop because the school's got a gym. You know, you don't have Mm -hmm. to go out and buy basketballs. Your big thing is buying shoes usually. Um, And so when, but when you do agility, you don't have usually anybody else unless you find a mentor that's you know willing to help you with dogs and stuff but a lot of it is you get your dog and you pay to have the dog and you pay to train the dog and you pay to enter the dog and then you don't get any money from running the dog like it's really expensive yeah this is the worst financial advice ever if you get a dog to do agility you are not making money back on this sport although i will say the last uki trial i did uh, last weekend both the Nitro and Picks both won the overall for Master Series, and after spending ninety something dollars between three dogs, I got twenty four dollars back. So I mean, that was pretty good. I thought <laughs> got got a couple gallons of gas. The go. best, I think, the most valuable thing about spending a bunch of money on dogs is that at least you don't have money for drugs. This right. is true. Yes, parents. <laughs> Take note, if you don't want your kids to do drugs or get into drugs, have them do dogs because there is no money left for anything else. If your no money or have time. An expensive, yeah, if your kid's <laughs> going to have an expensive hobby that takes them all over the country, at least it's dogs and not drugs. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's great life advice there. <laughs> well, and there's something else I'd like to add, like as we're talking about kids getting into agility, and this is going to be me going on a little bit of a tangent and a little bit of a rant, but everybody out here listening to this podcast, 
when you see kids trying to get in agility, support them. You know, and one thing, I mean, Diana and Natalie, I'd be really interested to hear some of your experiences, but I actually very recently talked to some kids who were just getting into both rally and obedience and agility. They were at a rally and obedience trial with me the weekend before they'd been in agility trial. And these are lovely young. I mean, they're not even that young. They were like, one was in junior high and one was in high school, worked hard with their dogs, nice kids, well-behaved, and they were treated like poo at the agility trial because there were kids at the trial and people didn't want them there. And I know Natalie has had some experiences like that. And I'd love to ask you guys some more. So people that are listening, this is where our future comes from. You need to support these kids. And if, if you, if your dog doesn't like having kids around, okay, well, that's a training issue, not a kids shouldn't be at the show issue. This is the future of our sport. Support these kids because they're awesome. And I don't say that because one of them is mine. These kids work hard and they deserve the respect. End rant. Sorry. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, that was a short rant. I appreciate that. That's okay. I'll piggyback off of it. And I'm sure Diana <laughs> can as well. Like, yeah. It is overwhelmingly the dog community is really wonderful. Um, but I myself has, have had a experiences um more so with people underestimating me because I was a kid but I've also seen people be really shitty to junior handlers or just kids of people who are showing and it's I think I mean it's something no one should do but I also on top of everything my mom said think it's our responsibility as fellow competitors to stop that behavior we need to, if someone's going to be shitty to a kid, they're going to be shitty to a kid and they need to stop. But also as fellow competitors, when we see that, we need to stand up to that kid. It's really easy if you've got a dog that doesn't like the kids to go, hey, buddy, my dog isn't really a big fan of kids. I need a little more space. You know, that's really easy. Or if the kid is young enough going to a parent, hey, my dog doesn't really like kids. We need a little more space. That is a much easier, much nicer way to handle something like that rather than, you know, complaining that the kid is at the show or being upset because a kid is working. These kids are part of our sport. And if you can't hit, like if you or your dog can't handle that, that is not the kid's fault. And that is not a place to get angry at a child or their parent because they are allowed to be in that space. And this is the only way that this sport continues of any dog sports, because overwhelmingly in the U.S., our dog sports are controlled by older people which is fine. But if we want these dog sports to continue, there have to be younger people coming up. And these kids need support, whether they are showing a dog or not. And that is incredibly important and something that all competitors need to be looking out for and supporting. I can, I could definitely agree with you on that one. Cause I have seen at trials where uh, kids are working and they're volunteering where it'd be, you know, the boy scouts, the girl scouts coming in and um, other places that are fundraising. And I have seen them just kind of get treated like crap because they maybe made a mistake. Like they have gotten in the way of somebody's run because they were moving the leash and the dog saw it. And at the end of the day, that's not the kid's issue. That's a training issue at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. I wish people would take more personal responsibility for it and realize that if the dog has taken off away from you while you're doing your run, to me, that says you're not fun enough. You need to 
you need to go back and reevaluate your training there. I mean, I don't know if I'm alone on that one. What do you guys think? Uh, yeah. I mean, if your dog's getting distracted by their leash, um, you know, being carried by someone else completely different, your dog's obviously not very engaged with you and not having a lot of fun doing the game. So going back, I think this goes really well with the point that you mentioned previously, Jeff, is the dichotomy between European agility and U.S. agility. I see a lot more distractions in Europe. Um, It is not uncommon for them to have tape as a ring gate. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's wild. And I think that that, that as a whole, there's a culture in European agility that I wish we would adopt more of in the U S that is my dog is here to do a job. Agility is the job. You know, if some kid is hanging over a ring gate, they don't bat an eye and they certainly don't blame the kid because the kid is hanging over a ring gate or because the kid is playing by the ring set. And I think that that is a much better mentality to have when you're in dog sports is that, you know, it's, I mean, it's completely normal to be frustrated that you, um, that your dog got distracted or left or whatever. That is a normal feeling to have, but to go, to take a step back instead of getting mad at the distraction and going, okay, my dog has just given me the information that they cannot handle this situation. How do I help my dog understand how to handle this situation? And I wish that we had more of that culture here in the U.S. Um, that was a little more training focused rather than just getting your dog in the ring. Agreed. Oh, absolutely. Now, the interesting part, you bring up the ring game, and I totally didn't even think about this aspect. But you're right, because even with Europe, don't they have dogs just like laying around the outside of the ring and just watching agility, not doing anything, mm-hmm. but just sitting there watching Absolutely. They do not have leash rules in Europe. Um, So your dogs can be off leash. Uh, When we were in the Netherlands in 2019 for EO, we were having record heat. And so they had sprinklers going um, not far from the competition for dogs and handlers to cool off in because it was so hot. And dogs were off leash. They can run out of the ring off leash. And it's just expected that If your dog has a problem, you handle it. The dogs aren't out of control or running up to people. They're not running in the rings. It's just expected that you have your dog under control. And if your dog can't be under control, that your dog is leashed. But it's a much more honor-based system. And it's a much more almost mature system of instead of micromanaging everything, it's like you need to know what your dog and what you are capable of doing and whatever you can handle, whether that be your dog on leash all the time, whether that be your dog running around, that's what you can handle. And as long as you are polite and respectful with your actions, nobody cares. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And I kind of wish we would start going that way here in the United States. Cause I think that would one, I think that would make people train their dogs more, more of a socialization there or have a better obedience on their dog. But this is, this is going to date me quite a bit, but let's go back 20, 25 years ago. Uh, when I was first started doing agility, uh, me high to the grasshopper, but we didn't have ring gate. We had police tape around and, you know, it was expected that your dog would stay with you. And if it didn't, cause this was, this wasn't even outside. We didn't indoor trials. Wasn't even a, a concept no. at that point. So you had more concern of, Oh my God, if my dog runs away, we're not far from a main road or a busy parking mm-hmm. lot there. So my dog could get run over and killed. And I, I really do feel like, you know, we have gotten so far away from training that level of obedience and precision to keep your dog with you 
while you're doing agility, which, I mean, none of us now have that issue with any of our dogs because our dogs absolutely love the game and distractions. My, my dogs don't know what distractions are, except for Picks. Picks still, uh, he actually went to go visit the judge last week. I have no idea why, but he's like, he hops the, he hopped the tunnel. I went to go see him bounce on her, and I'm like, I have no idea. He's never done this before, and he came back fine, but it's like, well, that's a first for a small dog for me, so, you know, I don't know what to expect out of that, but uh, nonetheless, I diverse. Um, I digress on that aspect, but um, I would definitely like to see us, you know, taking away more of the ring gate and try to keep, make us responsible for keeping dogs um, contained inside the ring, because that should not be on the trial committee, should not be on the venue to keep dogs contained, because I, as a judge, I have whistled a lot of people out for dogs still hopping the ring gate and leaving, because obviously at that point, if they're hopping the ring gate, or the ring gate has no aspect at that point in time, so I don't really know why we keep trying to make the ring gate more and more of a fortress at that point. Yep. Yeah. The bottom line is, if your dog wants to leave, your dog's going to leave. Instead of you know complaining or or frankly whether leaving or not, if your dog's not going to do an obstacle, if your dog's going to have an issue with something, your dog's going to have an issue with something, um, and it's not on. I, I see so many people, especially complain to trial secretaries and to um, judges, but especially the trial secretaries who are constantly busting their ass to do everything under the sun and keep everything running. And then you have people that complain to trial secretaries because their dog popped a weave pole because they got distracted because someone might have had food on their crate or because a door opened and shut and the dog heard the noise. And it's frustrating as a competitor to have your dog get distracted. But like I said, like those nor those feelings are normal, but it is so important to, instead of getting mad at the distraction, to go, damn, I need to train my dog to handle this. Vengeance, who is seven years old, question mark, has two international medals, has missed two weaveful entrances lately in class, and I'm looking at it, and they've both been times where it's been kind of a hidden entrance with a yellow weave pole. And instead of getting mad at my dog or mad at the course design or mad at anything else, I'm going, hmm, my dog is consistently not seeing this weave pole. I need to fix that. And so I'm going to make a weave pole yellow so I can teach him how to hit an entrance with a yellow weave pole. And it, we, don't, we don't get a lot of that. And instead of putting the, uh, the responsibility on the trainer and the training of the dog, we've just been trying to fix everything so no one gets mad and doesn't have to train those issues. Piggybacking off of that too, I have seen a recent uptick, so to speak, and a lot of people blaming the dogs for issues that they're having rather than taking that step back and saying, okay, well, my dog is struggling with this, so why is he struggling with that? You know, taking responsibility for your training. And I've just seen, I've seen a lot of people, you know, be hard on their dogs and well, my dog is doing this wrong. Well, what have you done to, to fix it, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely there, because as a judge, I see a lot of, I want to say harsh, I'm going to tread very carefully on those terms, but I've seen some people take some very harsh corrections in the ring, and that is one thing I'm very thankful as a judge, that if I see that, I get to be the one that goes, hey, that's not a thing I do in my ring. I don't want to see it, and I hope that that's enough to make people realize I probably shouldn't 
do that because there's nothing worse than seeing somebody get extremely mad at their dog, verbally berate their dog, get a little bit more physically gruff with their dog and inside the ring. That to me, that is very frustrating as a judge and a representative of the venue that I'm judging that weekend to see that somebody would take the frustration out on their dog when it turns around and it's really the person on top of the leash there who implemented the training and did that so yeah i i can totally i agree with you guys completely on that yeah i've seen i see that a lot especially with my biggest pet peeve is when i see handlers get mad at their dogs for going somewhere or doing something that the handler cued and then they they yell at the dog because they've now lost the cue and it's it's like well you either need to train a skill in which so that way this situation doesn't happen and you can handle it or you need to take responsibility that you sent your dog in the wrong place and it's not your dog's fault that your dog took the off course tunnel or the off course jump or whatever it might be or drop uh, that last dog... bar yeah <laughs> yeah like something we've never done that <laughs> never <laughs> but you know it's it's something that i see happen a lot um and i i know we all see that Handlers get upset because of a mistake that they made and they take it out on the dog. And, you know, everyone gets upset when, you know, you need that last cue for your mock or your NAC cues or, you know, your tryouts cues. We all we all get frustrated when we lose that. But the bottom line is you can't take it out on your dog because it's not your dog's fault. Either your dog isn't trained to handle something or you have, as a handler have not given good enough information. Very rarely is your dog just going, eh, I don't really feel like it. And yeah, there are situations where that happens, but it's so very rare that it is not fair to yell and scream at your dog because of one run. Well, and even if your dog is going, yeah, I don't feel like it, then your dog as a trainer is to be like, well, I need to train this better or train this differently or something so the dog is more reliable. So Absolutely. Let's, let's take a step back away from the, the training aspect. It could be solely not even training. It could be dog is not feeling good. They're feeling sick. They're actually injured in the back. It could be something as simple as that where they need a chiro adjustment because I remember years ago at the last Sino Sports that I was at with Nitro, our first run was steeplechase, and I, the dog hardly ever drops bars, and this run – his first run of the sports and he dropped four bars and it was so unlike him. I was, I was kind of like beside myself. And uh, fortunately at the end of the day, there was still a chiropractor left there. And I said, just please take a look at him. Cause this is, this is not like him. I'm not even mad at him. I just, I'm more worried than anything else. And it was literally a simple, well, it wasn't simple, but it was a adjustment that was needed right in his lower spine. And, for the rest of the week, that dog never dropped a bar. And I was, I almost kind of cried a little bit because I felt so bad that, you know, I let him, you know, go out feeling like that. But, you know, sometimes you just don't know until it's too late at that point. It, sometimes it's training. A lot of times it is training, but there are times where it goes outside of that aspect where it's something that you still need to do as that human connection to go, wait, what else is going on here? What's, what else could be wrong? It doesn't have to be training always. Yeah, but the answer is always, what can I do to fix it? It's not, oh, my dog is terrible. Oh, I'm going to yell at my dog. It's what do I, as an owner, as a trainer, as a handler, need to do to fix this? And I think we lose sight of that a lot of times. And, uh, you know, emotions run high that there's always intensity, but it is 
so important to stay grounded when you're in a sport with living, breathing animals. If you want to do football or basketball or what have you and be mad at yourself all the time and yell at yourself for doing something, all right, fine, that's on you. But your dogs can't control that. And so when you're doing a sport that involves animals, it's even more important to have that that presence of mind. Absolutely. No, that that's great advice there. Uh, moving on. Um, so because kids and teens are just kind of getting started into agility, what, uh, what kind of advice do you have for them if they want to get into more of international where, where you want to send them, where, who should they talk to? Talk to the people that are doing what you want to do. Mm -hmm. My biggest advice for anybody when they're looking a find a mentor find someone that can teach you because it is really really hard to do all of it on your own and it's much easier if you can find somebody um or reach out to somebody who might find be able to find you somebody um that can do what you want to do and then find people that handle like you want to handle that run dogs like you have or like that you want to run or that have experience with what you are trying to do because I think there are sometimes people that get caught in, you know, they want to do international, but, and there's this really good trainer by them, but this trainer specializes in like masters level and like AKC nationals type stuff. And that's great. And that trainer might be perfect for that. And there's absolutely no disrespect for that trainer, but if that trainer doesn't have international experience and you are want to have international experience you probably shouldn't train with that trainer to get you to that level there might be plenty of other things that that trainer can help you with but for the actual international level you need to find somebody that is currently doing what you want to be able to do because mm -hmm. the other thing is you don't want to go to someone who was super internationally successful 20 years ago and hasn't done international agility since because international agility has changed a lot even in the past few years so it yep. is super important to be with someone that is up to date on what's going on, that knows how to handle and that can handle the way you want to handle or has experience with it. Um, you know, you, you might not find somebody that runs the same. Maybe you have a, a little terrier, but you might have someone that uh, runs a Sheltie, but you want handling advice and that Sheltie runs kind of similar to your dog. Okay, cool. Well, you, that would be a good person to go to and get handling advice from if they're up to date on everything. But don't go to someone that isn't currently doing what you want to do because you're not going to be able to get everything that you need out of that person. Agreed. I think my biggest advice to people wanting to get into the sport is to um, put in the work. If, if you really want to do it, it's not... It's not something you can go out and fart around and do. You do have to, to put in the work to, to round, the, round out the dog that you want to create. And finding those people that can help you do that is a, a big, huge part of that who can, who can give you advice. And then you can go home and work on it and work on it and work on it. And then also finding, finding people who are, are positive and encouraging for you not just for you but in in life in general if that makes sense that are uplifting so to speak in just a, a general sense well and one thing i'd like to add because i've watched both of these girls work i mean obviously i've seen natalie her whole life and i've known dinah for a long time 
is both of these girls or young women have worked really hard like i've watched them have times where things did not go well i've seen the reels come off the bus i've seen them have goals that have that they have not reached and one thing that i think young people need to understand or anybody doing agility needs to understand but especially young people that maybe don't have the mileage is sometimes you're going to try and you're going to fail and that's how you learn and get better don't look back at, at these two young women who have done really well and have really grown as competitors and trainers and go, oh, well, they're so good. And here's me screwing up. So I'm never going to get there. They both screwed up plenty too. And they've gone, <laughs> okay, how do I get better? I mean, you know, because they've responded to it in the kind of way that's made them better every time. And that's something I think that people need to remember is, they've worked these two have worked really hard and sometimes it hasn't worked the way they hoped and they've come back and they've gotten better because of it and yeah maybe you shed some tears or you go and curl up in a corner for a little bit (laughs) (laughs) you come back out and that's what both of these young ladies have done and so keep that in mind when you're working with your dogs is sometimes the wheels will come off the bus you will be frustrated cry it can get Yep. <laughs> I, yeah going off of that i i've i briefly talked at the beginning about my gold medal and coming off of that gold medal i took fire to the european open tryouts only a few months later and when we those. had our yep when we had our uh seminar in slovakia for the european open junior team it's always sponsored sponsored we had these great seminar uh, presenters but one of them when Phi was running made a weird noise that she really didn't like basically by the time we had figured out what was happening fire was pretty freaked out by the noise and was had figured out that the noise was coming from the woman and she had associated the way that woman looked with that noise and she was afraid of it like really afraid of it to the point where I was really worried going into that weekend whether or not she was going to run at all so she ran at EOJ. She did really well. So we come back and I'm feeling really good going into European Open team tryouts. We've done a ton of training. I've worked my, my ass off to get her to where she needs to be. And we go in and she gets halfway through our first run. And the judge that we had looked enough like in body stature to the woman that had scared her that she completely shut down. And so for four runs... On a national live stream, I took my dog out there off of a gold medal, and she trotted like a scared little dog through the whole course. And it was awful. I mean, that was probably one of the worst weekends of my life in terms of I knew it wasn't my dog's fault. I wasn't mad at her, but it was terrible to go out there at my very first adult tryout event and have her completely shut down coming off of this gold medal. And it was terrible because my dog was scared and I had never had anything like this. And it really sucked. I, there was a part of me that's like, I'm never showing this dog again. Like, I'll be completely honest. I'll be like, well, that's it. This is done. But I kept working on it. And so you can fail pretty, pretty miserably. Um, It was a pretty miserable weekend, but you come back and Dog still came back and won another medal overseas and (laughs) placed fourth at tryouts like two years later in one of the rounds. So you can fail pretty fantastically and still still pick yourself back up and and work through it. Um, And that's it's really important to know that all of the people that you see 
that are running and that are doing all of these things have failed fantastically in front of plenty of people. It's not Mm -hmm. that they're failing in their yard at home. They're failing in front of hundreds of people. And it could be pretty fantastic. And they still pick themselves up every day and they go out there and they train their dogs and they do their thing. And it sucks sometimes. But the point of having a passion is sometimes it sucks and you still do it. Um, And I just think that's, like, I enjoy sharing that story now because I think it's a really good thing for everybody, whether you're a junior or not, to keep in mind that you can fail pretty fantastically and still come back and achieve wonderful things, even with the same dog. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, it definitely didn't, it was not a story you wanted to tell right off the bat. It took a few years to uh, get behind you. (laughs) Yeah, that was not a story. I openly shared for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, cause I vividly remember that only cause that was my first year ever going to tryouts as well. So, I mean, I, yeah, I remember that story. I felt terrible for you cause I know you had just come off of such a great experience and then to go to that, I mean, that's just, that's gut wrenching. Yeah. I remember the best thing that was said to me that weekend was actually by Ann Brow, who's the team coach. And she, it was, it was in the bathroom of all places. Um, <laughs> and she looked at me and she did, and she said, you are doing the best you can for that dog. Um, and I was like, that made me feel really good that the coach of all people had recognized that my dog was scared. And honestly, that comment was probably what got me through that weekend was the fact that the team coach looked at me and was like, you're doing a good job. And it sucks that it happened but you know what, you're doing what's right. And that really helped. And that kind of piggybacks off of the last piece of advice that I have for anybody, but especially juniors is don't be afraid to talk to people. Most of the time, I realize we've talked about a few bad eggs in the bunch, but most of the time people are super nice and talk to them because most of them would love to talk to you and share their stories and share experience and just get to know you. Because those people are going to be the people that are in your corner. And it's scary, especially if you're kind of introverted like I am, to talk to people. But those are the connections you make. And then you go to trials and you see these people and you have people to talk to and people to bounce ideas off of. Um, And it's a really good way to build a network of people that maybe you don't see every day. And it's a great way to, you know, know, maybe end up finding a puppy. That's how I got my... Um, my youngest Sheltie is I ended up going up to Jen Crank at one of the tryouts because she was someone that I really looked up to and I talked to her. So talk to people, create those connections because it's going to help you. You're going to find friends, you're going to find mentors, you're going to find maybe future breeders, whatever. But those are the people that are going to be really important. So don't be afraid to talk to people regardless of the size of the event. Um, just create those connections because people are 99.9% of the time going to be so thrilled that you did that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing to piggyback off the failure thing is don't be afraid to fail because fail only means it's the first attempt in learning at the end of the day. Cause we have all had our miserable failures where we've still maybe a sore spot for some of us to even talk to talk about at those point, but we get over it and we do discuss it and, you know, we move on and we learn, but failure is the only way that we learn. Cause if you're always perfect and you're always succeeding, what do you actually learn? Yep. 
the best trainers are the people that have failed the most usually because they're the people that know how to work through just about anything. Right. right. Yep. We have seen them time and time again, be successful on the national stage and, and the international stage too, as the U S has grown better and better every single year as uh, Angie Beniquisto finally brought home our first uh, European open uh, gold medal from last year. So uh, props mm-hmm. to her for that one. Her and Sunday have uh, worked their butts off of that. And that was after, I think, 13 E's, she said. In a, I mean, it, it's been yeah. a rough road for Angie and Sunday because, she, I mean, a fabulous team that has gone overseas right. a fair amount and has had just really bad luck. Um, right. And they find, like, they pulled it together in this last EO and got, like, all the stars aligned for such a phenomenal team, and they did it. And Angie, Angie wrote a really, really good post uh, on Facebook about about all of those failures and about how it was frustrating at times because, I mean, we had all for years seen them lay down phenomenal runs. Um, and so it was always like we know, like she knew, Sunday knew, everybody here knew, and it was just dumb luck that it hadn't happened yet. And she still every year she went back and she got better and now we've got uh the u.s has finally heard our national anthem at uh, the european open <laughs> uh, I, no time like the present i did, did want to kind of add one more thing for the juniors out there get experience experience is the best way to grow yourself so even if you're not quite there yet go to go to european open team tryouts Go to World Team Tryouts, go to the U.S. Open, get the experience, and you can have for yourself because experience, experience, experience is what pushes all of us and makes mm-hmm. us better. Experience Absolutely. with good – and keep your expectations – don't overshoot your expectations to the point where you're <laughs> going to be disappointed like Dinah said, go to all those places, but go there with the hope of getting experience, not with, and, and frankly, this goes for anybody, but go there with the hope of getting experience and learning something instead of going in with, I have to win this because it's going to make you a lot calmer and you a lot better. And it's going to allow you to take more from the experience because if you go in just wanting to win or just wanting to take home a ribbon, you're not going to get as much out of the experience. For you two ladies, what goals do you guys have in the next five years, nationally, internationally, or just dogs in general? What do you have coming up? I am going to continue working with my my current border collie girl, Rogue. She she's done awesome. All of our experiences are adding up, and I'm really excited to see what she does in the next couple of years. Um, I'm also going to work towards more European Open and World Teams with my my young up-and-coming Border Collie Riot because uh, he's doing great things as well. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I my overall goal has always been to be one of the, like, as I call them, like the international superpowers, the people that you see and no matter who you are in the agility world you probably know them by name and you know them as being a powerhouse that's going to step to the line with a phenomenal dog that could win and that's always my goal so I'm I've been trying to set my sights on like EO and AWC and so I'm 
uh, as Vengeance kind of comes out of his prime. Um, I've got my youngest Sheltie Antic coming up, and I'm hoping to keep chasing those goals with both of them and the, all of my dogs to come. Very nice. Well, thank you both of you for coming on tonight and sharing experiences and your knowledge tonight. We greatly appreciate it, and we'll look forward to seeing you uh, down the line. I know I'll be seeing both of you here sometime shortly. Probably, uh, Natalie, are you going to Nationals this year? Nope. Ray, I do not nope. show enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff I showed uh, in June and then I showed again in December <laughs> and I think one of those was my trial I judged I think so <laughs> <laughs> well for sure I'll probably see you at uh, world team tryouts then in May then oh yeah definitely perfect well both of you will be there actually I think Dinah you're going right yep not nationals but world team tryouts yep all right. Well, perfect. Well, you know what? Once we get done with tryouts, we'll uh, we'll have another podcast and we'll bring you both back on here and we'll uh, we'll discuss our uh, failures or hopefully successes in this one. Something <laughs> something tells me that'll be a lot of bloopers for the Patreon. <laughs> I think you're right about that one. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, good night and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us, ladies. Bye. Thanks for having us. Bye.